Welcome to Adjunctitis, from surviving to thriving, teaching hacks to reduce stress, save time, and avoid common pitfalls. I'm April Brown, an assistant professor of journalism at Cal State LA. If you're new to teaching at the college level and get thrown into the deep end, there are some things you should really know to make your life easier. And I created this podcast because it can be hard to get access to that information. It certainly was when I began. If you missed episodes one and two, I went over a few things that have and have not changed in the college experience and some important legal issues that you're going to want to get up to speed on. Episode three has tips for how to think about building relationships with your students. It really does help make the experience better for everyone. Now, on to something else. Welcome to episode four, Syllabus Schmillibus, part one. As has become our custom, first, a story. I briefly mentioned in episode one that when I arrived in town for my first full-time teaching job about a week before the semester began, it felt like I had a few syllabi and a good luck with that to start the semester. And it was much the same the year that I was an adjunct. Basically, I used the syllabi as a template and made up the course as I went along. What else can you do? Fast forward to a few months ago, and a new colleague was telling me about some issues he had with a student who missed the first day of class saying they couldn't find it. And, oh, by the way, I'll be missing the first few weeks because I'm out of the country, but I really want to continue in the class and I know I can complete it. This is summer school, by the way, where each class is four hours long. Not a good situation, and there are some additional complexities I'm leaving out. But how would you deal with that? This is where that syllabus, which originally didn't seem so terribly important or useful, actually can be very helpful. It's essentially a contract between you and your students. Yes, there are some basics, and we'll get into those, but it can also be a way for you to head off some problems before they become big. You are setting up the rules and expectations on everything from behavior to assignments to learning goals and more. And you can write the most lovely syllabus in the world, if the students don't read it, it's not going to be as useful as it could be. So we'll also talk about strategies that make sure your students do look at it. At this point, it might be helpful to look at a syllabus for one of my courses. So I've put one in the episode four section of our website, adjunctitis.com. I'm going to give you a quick assignment. Of course, if you're driving or doing something else dangerous, you don't have to do this now. But look that syllabus over. Make some notes on the episode outline that's also on our website and then come back to the podcast. There are plenty of syllabus templates out there, and mine is a bit of a mashup. It starts with the usual suspects, university logo, college, department details, class information, sections, and the semester. Then, of course, who's teaching, where they can find me, how to get in touch, details about office hours, that kind of thing. If you missed episode three, I talk about how office hours can be valuable beyond just answering students' questions. Then there's more info about the course, where we meet, when, and where to come to class on Zoom should the need arise. I'm going to stop here for a second and talk a little bit about my experience teaching on Zoom. I started at Cal State LA in the fall of 2020. I had never met any of my colleagues because my interview happened in the spring right after classrooms were closed and most institutions moved online. My interview and onboarding were both entirely virtual. I taught my entire first year on Zoom, as the university chose not to hold any in-person classes. It was tough teaching courses that I had not taught before online, especially production courses like mine. 
How do you teach students how to shoot video when you can't give them the cameras we'd normally use or help them with the hands-on stuff? Of course it can be done. YouTube is a great example of that. And my university did provide a lot of courses over the summer and a stipend so we could better transition to teaching online. And I learned a lot from those courses. But in California, we couldn't require students to put their cameras on. So I was usually looking at a bunch of black boxes with names on them. Now, I've done a lot of live TV, so talking to a camera is not a problem for me. But it's so much better to have people to interact with. Facial expressions and gestures to give you an idea whether students are engaged or bored. Getting what you're trying to get across, or even actually there and not sleeping. (laughs) So we came back to the classroom in the fall of 2021. But there was COVID testing and other restrictions. And if faculty or students had COVID symptoms, we had to stay home. Now, I was not required to teach students both in person and online at the same time, meaning I didn't have to be in my classroom and also have a Zoom room open and try to teach both at the same time. It is really hard to do that at the best of times when you have the right tech. My classrooms were not set up with a monitor for the Zoom room and another for the content. And if you're having a hard time imagining what that looks like, I've got a photo example in the episode four section of the website. So in the classroom, I have one monitor, usually an iMac, not the biggest one, and having to squeeze both the Zoom room and all of the chats and other things on one screen, along with all of the things that I was teaching from on Canvas, the learning management system, was really difficult. All of my fussing about going from the Zoom class to the Canvas and back and forth was really distracting for everyone. And if I'd planned activities for the students to do in person, I also had to quickly, if there were students who were popping in online, try to figure out how to make them work virtually as well. And I did this because I didn't want my students to fall further behind. So I tried to teach the students who were sick and couldn't come to class at the same time as those who could. But teaching is hard at the best of times, and this absolutely did not help. Last year, things were getting better. Fewer students were getting sick. But if a student was sick, I'd let them come to the Zoom room. But I didn't prepare specific materials or activities for them because our classes were supposed to be face-to-face. However, Toward the end of the semester, I noticed some students were starting to take advantage. If I opened the Zoom room for someone who was legitimately sick, it was pretty easy for others to assume that maybe at least one student would have requested that opportunity and pop in in the Zoom room as well. There were a few times when it got closer to graduation, there were more students online than in the room. Back in the day, we would have expected students to overcome these challenges in a more traditional manner. You have transportation, work issues, late night of studying or whatever, partying. You come or you don't. You get the notes from a classmate or you come to office hours to get help. But COVID changed things. And I think this may be an issue a lot of other teachers are grappling with as well. I want to do things that will help my students succeed, but not to the point where I'm not teaching well because I'm trying to accommodate everyone. Again, I'll point out that I wasn't required to teach both online and in person at the same time, but a lot of people were still getting sick. 
All right, now back to our regularly scheduled programming, Syllabus Schmillibus, Part 1. So if you look at the course description section, there is wording from the course catalog. And then there's something that's really important, but I didn't know a thing about until I took that How to Be a Better Teacher class. Student Learning Outcomes, or SLOs for short. Sometimes they're called CLOs, Course Learning Outcomes. And this is what students should expect to know by the end of the class and sometimes expect to be able to do as well. The syllabi I was handed that very first year of full-time teaching didn't have these on it. So I was actually creating a course based on what I thought they should know coming out of it, as opposed to what the school agreed to teach them as part of our program. And your program will have PLOs, Program Learning Outcomes, and they should all fit together with the SLOs to make sure that students come away at graduation with the same knowledge and the same skills. The learning outcomes for the class should fit in with the broader learning outcomes for the degree program and all come together to make sure that the students are getting the skills we promise to teach them when they join our BA program, for example. If you don't know what the learning outcomes are for the class or classes you're teaching, I really suggest you try to find out. If you end up teaching classes that rely on prerequisites, in particular those classes that they have to take before they get to yours, you will want to know that the professor is aware of what they need to teach the students so they come to you with the right knowledge and skills. Please trust me when I tell you, if they don't learn the right things in the prerequisite classes and come to you without the right knowledge and skills, it is very difficult to keep everyone on track. So after the course description is the course structure, which had some specific language in the one I've shared with you due to the pandemic. And I've linked to the university policies and resources because I wanted students to be able to find those things without any trouble. Required course materials is pretty self-explanatory. What other books or materials they will need to purchase or get. I'm going to take another quick detour here to say some textbooks are very expensive. I was shocked at how much they cost when I went to school before the millennium, and the relative cost does not seem to have gone down. There is a movement in some places to use open source resources that are less financially burdensome to students. That's something you may want to look into. Back to the document. I've got a section for computer requirements listed in this area because we do a lot of audio and video editing in my classes. So a 20-year-old desktop is not going to support some of the programs that we use. During the pandemic, we did have computer and hotspot loans. I have links to those resources on this particular syllabus for those who needed them. I don't know how long those things will be available, though. Now that you've got through the first and easiest part, we will get to some of those policies that will help you hopefully let students know what to expect and make your life easier. Having it in writing really does make a difference when there are disputes. We call that a tease in broadcast journalism, so you'll have to listen to episode five for that information. That's all for this episode. If you haven't already, you can find one of my syllabi in the episode four section of the website, adjunctitis.com. You'll want to hang on to that for syllabus schmillibus part two. If you have questions or issues you'd like me to address, please send them to questions at adjunctitis.com. 
join our conversation on social. Right now we're at Adjunctitis on threads, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash adjunctitis. You can also use the hashtag adjunctitis so we can form a community where questions can be asked and answered. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider leaving a review and a rating. Those can help other people find us too. Please spread the word and help those who ask you for help. It's good teaching karma. Adjunctitis is a Look At It This Way production. I'm April Brown. Thank you for listening. Class dismissed.